All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we are doing our makeup Q&A episode where I will be answering some of your listener questions as well as providing some thoughts on the film in all 22 from this week eight game against the Seattle Seahawks. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, and of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. And yesterday we did a little bit of a switcheroo uh, by talking and ranting about the non-trade of Julio Jones, I mean, Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman, and instead of doing the All-22 in in, in Q&A episode, and today we're just going to do that. I didn't really have anything else I wanted to talk about. So, yeah, let's let's get into um, my thoughts on the film from the Seahawks game. I didn't really have any sort of things that I wanted to talk about as far as the offense goes. That was something I talked about, I think, on Tuesday's episode, the, the usage of play action and shotgun. Nothing really to add from watching the film there, um, at least in my eyes. So go back and listen to that episode if you want to get my thoughts on sort of how the Falcons – utilized Schaub and, and question marks that they had in their offense, I thought, uh, with some of their play calling early in that game um, that I think contributed to their slow start. And as I have done the last couple of weeks on these All-22 reviews, I'm going to look at the coverage because that to me is the more interesting thing as the Falcons try to balance sort of their defense and get this defense back to playing at a competent level and it's really sort of like when they utilize certain coverages, it seemingly works. So that's your Locked on Falcons lead story. So let's jump right into that right now. So one of the things I noticed watching the All-22 from the Falcons Week 8 loss to the Seattle Seahawks was how much they predominantly relied on man coverage early in the game. And we've seen them rely pretty heavily on their man coverage in several games in recent weeks. And it was sort of a way for them to sort of simplify their defense and hoping it would lead to less big plays and, and fewer mistakes on the back end for this defense that had struggled with that throughout the season. That really didn't quite work against Seattle, which I'll explain a little bit further in just a bit. But in the first half of this get past Sunday's game, the Falcon utilized man coverage on over 80% on 13 out of 16 pass plays by the Seahawks. They gave up seven completions on 13 attempts for 88 yards and two touchdowns on those 13 plays in which the Falcons utilized man coverage. Both of those scores were by Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf in the second quarter, which were wide open throws where the Falcons had some communication breakdowns on the back end. The Falcons saw cornerback Isaiah Oliver and safety DeMonte Casey struggle as neither player was sort of on the same page trying to figure out who was covering Metcalf on both plays, leaving the rookie Seahawks receiver wide open for both of those scores. Perhaps because of those breakdowns, the Falcons play a little bit more zone in the second half. In the third quarter, they ran zone on all three of Russell Wilson's passes with zero snaps of man coverage. And it was mostly effective, but the zone started to break down in the fourth quarter where they gave up a couple of big plays utilizing their cover three. In the fourth quarter, they utilized cover three on three plays. They used cover two zone on one play, and then they utilized their man coverage, that cover one look on two plays in the fourth quarter. 
the thing that is interesting is that the Falcons cover three continues to be problematic for them this season. And they have gone with a little bit more cover two in recent weeks, but it hasn't completely overtaken. It seems like when the Falcons are as they had in the second quarter where they had some of these breakdowns with using their man coverage, their default was to go back to their cover three. It worked for the third quarter, but didn't work in the fourth quarter. And this is really where the Falcons don't really have a reliable zone coverage. And the main reason that they run zone coverage, particularly on early downs, is because it allows them to be more effective against the run. Now, unfortunately, in the Seahawks game, the Seahawks were able to gash them on the ground, particularly in the second quarter. But again, I think that is largely related to the fact that they ran pretty much exclusively man coverage in the second quarter. And that has been one of the downsides and one of the vulnerabilities, even though the man coverage is very has been much more effective in terms of defending the pass for the Falcons this season. Um, it has been made them a lot more susceptible to getting gashed by opposing teams, largely due to the fact because the corners and the safeties and the linebackers are more preoccupied with covering their receiver or their tight end or whomever, and therefore are not able to sort of fulfill their run responsibilities quite to the level that they normally would if they were more tasked with being zoned and their, all their eyes were on the football, on, on the quarterback, and so therefore they would be better able to read their keys. So that's really the balancing act that the Falcons are sort of struggling with, and one of the reasons why they, at least early in their season, were a little bit more reluctant to completely embrace the man coverage, even though it seemed to be the most effective way of keeping their passing defense from being gashed as it was earlier this season. So that's the balancing act that the Falcons are going to have to overcome. You know, their pass defense works when they play more man coverage, but their run defense is much more vulnerable when they play that man coverage. And so if they play the zone to get the benefits of the run defense, it leaves them, it seemingly leaves them a little bit more vulnerable to the pass as well. So that's going to be the tough task that the Falcons are going to have to figure out in the back half of this season as they try to get their one and seven season back on track and hope that their defense can at least play to some competent level for the remaining eight games in this 2019 season. So guys, we're going to change the game real quickly uh, and switch to talking about or answering some of your listener questions about Tack McKinley's usage as well as Julio Jones's uh, role within this offense in just a bit. But uh, the folks at Roman, which is a men's health company, are also changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer-lasting sex. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. So we know at the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time, and watch some football. And whether you're watching Matt Shop throw dimes or you're watching DK Metcalf bust through Falcons coverages, there's nothing quite like the NFL and there's no better way to make the game even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and the best lines 
than any other sports book. Don't forget where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play, and I think it's where you should too. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if I didn't think they were the best. So if you're like me and you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, I think you should try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. But no matter how you bet, the NFL season is absolutely the best time of year to do so. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON, one word, to double your first deposit. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. So because we didn't do the Q&A uh, because I had to get some things off my chest on yesterday's episode. You know, I'll answer a couple of questions on today's episode. So it's a Friday Q&A. Uh, our first question comes from Jerron Johnson. He asks, hey, Aaron, I'm not trying to make excuses for tax play, but asking more of a hypothetical question. With tax predominantly a physical type, bull rushing in his first three years in the league and his time in college, do you think the team's overall desire for him to lose weight, which ended up being about 20 pounds or so, to become a more versatile rusher ended up hurting him more than helping. Although he is a paid professional athlete, I will say it's difficult for some to go to the new style in one offseason. This harps back to the question I asked you over the summer when asked, is it better to let a player do what they're good at versus changing it for the sake of versatility? I think that's a great question. And yeah, I would say that I do think, I remember when it was first announced that Tack had lost weight and the Falcons were planning on playing him at as an outside linebacker in their sort of 3-4, 5-2, whatever you want to call the scheme that they run. I didn't like that. And I was like, why are they changing what Tack did? There wasn't an issue with what Tack did. Now, you know, one of the things that came out this offseason was that Tack was overweight last year, and, and I'm sure many of you can recall some photos and whatnot and some talk, you know, during OTAs or training camp last and in, going into the 2018 season, which was surrounding sort of Tack being fat and, and all those sort of various things. And I think sort of the story was that because he had, I think, shoulder surgery, if I recall, after his rookie season in 2017, he wasn't able to start his rehab and, and train so he gained a little bit of weight in the off season as a result of that and that's why he came a little heavy but I actually thought he benefited from that because I think you're right Tack is is more of that sort of power rusher and one of the things that I noticed of Tack watching his film and as a rookie was that mo- uh, many of his sacks came from him being a speed rusher but many of you guys may recall that Tack doesn't have the best bend. He had a pretty awful three cone um, relative to his size uh, when he came out in 2017. And he's not a guy that's really great at bending. He's more of a straight line guy. And I remember watching all his sacks and all his hits during his rookie season. And he did get a number of sacks from his speed rush, which typically you're asking, you know, you're, you're trying to bend that edge. But I noticed that he was able to do a lot of that against like the Greg Robinsons and the Brent Qualleys of the world, the lesser offensive tackles that didn't work good. And so even though the issue with tax bend was because he doesn't bend well, when he's trying to turn the corner, essentially he winds up taking extra steps. And so what that does is that slows you down. Like you wanted to sort of bend that edge 
in the cleanest way possible. And, and certainly people that are more versed in the, the intricacies of pass rushing can explain it in a better way. And maybe that's something we'll talk about on the podcast during the offseason when we in the lead up to the draft talking, you know, if we're if we're in having conversations about Chase Young and AJ Epinesa and whoever else. But it, that was one of the things I noticed with Tech was that because he didn't bend well, his speed rush was really only effective against bad offensive tackles. And that was one of the reasons why I was skeptical of whether or not the Falcons trusting in the improvement that Beasley and Tack and all those guys would show in 2018, whether whether that was going to be able to solve their pass rushing issues. Um, and I think, you know, Tack gaining weight and then being used more as an inside rusher, we saw that. You know that Cincinnati game, he had a couple of really good sacks going up against their right guard. I think Alex Redmond in that game, um, and there were you know being more that heavier player. I think plays to tack strengths with his length, with his power. And you're right, he is more that bull rushing type of guy. Now, the argument for him losing weight is that he would be more explosive, quicker off the ball, and whatnot, and being able to sort of shock defender offensive tackles. I'm sorry. Uh, with his initial quickness, because Tack does have a great first step. Um, but I do feel like the Falcons asking him to play this outside linebacker role and asking him to be more of a dropping, he's dropping in the coverage certainly a lot more than what he did the previous year. Um, you know, actually, I probably could look up those exact numbers. Tack, as a rookie, dropped in the coverage five times. In 2018, he dropped in the coverage 15 times, and already in 2019, he's dropped in the coverage 26 times. Yeah, he's being more of, you know, he's not being asked to drop in the coverage that much. You know, it, it results in, you know, like 6 7% of his snaps. You know, his first two years, it was like 1% to 2% of his snaps. So that, to me, is, I don't know if that's really the best usage of TAC. And, and a comment I made on Twitter uh, a week or so ago was that, uh, you know, I hope the next coaching staff is asking him to be more of that Michael Bennett type of player rather than a uh, outside linebacker and whatnot. So we'll, we'll sort of have to see a lot of that's going to deter- be determined by what the new coaching staff wants in their scheme, what type of scheme they run. Do they run a more? Do they go further into the 3-4 realm? Do they go back to more of a 4-3, whatever the case may be? You know, and that's that's kind of the issue with the 3-4 because in previous years when the Falcons would run their bare fronts, they would play Tack as a down lineman, even though that's not really what he does well. But like, based off of him being, I guess, closer to 270 or 275 or whatever it was, um, you know, that's better than him being a stand-up outside linebacker. So we'll just have to sort of see about that. Um, and, and maybe, as you mentioned, um, it may just he just needs more time to adjust to it. And the next coaching staff will continue to play him as an outside linebacker and he'll be better uh, for it. But, you know, on, on the note of tack and on the note of this Falcons pass rush tack so far this season, according to pro football focus has 22 pressures. Eight of them came in that Philadelphia game. So he's averaging like two pressures outside of that one game. He's averaging about two pressures a game, uh, which is not ideal. Clearly not ideal. If you listen to this podcast during the offseason, like the numbers should be somewhere around like four or five or six pressures a game. Uh, if for this pass rush to be sort of at the level where we thought or we hoped it would be this season. And, you know, that's been a disappointment. And I haven't given up on TAC uh, to the degree that other people have. 
Um, I certainly think he does deserve criticism for not playing well this season. Um, but I also sort of think, you know, a lot of it is that he isn't getting as many opportunities to rush the quarterback this year as he was in previous years, but still even, you know, he's, he's been more of an every down player this year uh, than he has been in, in previous years. So I, like, I'm with you. I don't want to make excuses for Tack, but I, I do feel like there has been, like, I do think it's fair to sort of look at Tack with a little bit greater scrutiny than maybe people had before. But I feel like people have gone a little bit too far with like, oh, Tack's a bust. I wouldn't go that far. I think you can certainly question, as Jerron has suggested, you can question whether or not he has been utilized uh, correctly um, and sort of his role right now. So I haven't given up on Tack. You know, I feel like people, you know, the whole like Twitter stuff, I think is kind of silly. But, you know, I, that's my personal opinion on that is that's like baby boomers not under, you know, sort of putting way too much stock in social media. Like, I don't know. But like, that's just me. But I also know there are millennials out there that, you know, will criticize players in their social media presences when it's like, really? Like, I'm on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be, but like, I'm on Twitter and I'm like, it's, it's nothing. It's just kind of whatever, man. You know, I don't know, but that's me. That's me. I don't, I don't really sort of scrutinize social media accounts. So like people are like, what do you think about this that happened on social media? Like, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, like I follow most of the Falcons players, but I'm not like really following them to the degree that I think other fans do that when they tweet stuff, they're always like, you know, what does this mean? Like, like I don't I don't spend any time thinking about it because to me social media is I'm not gonna say a waste of time but like it's not something that I think needs deep analysis based off my experience but to each their own okay there's that question for Jerron I hope that answers your question Jerron and, and on that you know I guess the, the the last little tidbit about the versatility thing and I do re- recall vaguely recall your question about that and I think my answer my response was like. I'm not really bothered by players being cross-trained. It, it just, it's, it's, it's kind of like a case-by-case basis. It's not sort of like a general like sweeping thing like cross-training is bad or you know, just kind of got to take it case-by-case. And so in this case, I think this was an example where maybe they didn't, it wasn't the right call. So I, I hope that answers your question, Jerron. And uh, we have another one coming up. But uh, before we get there, I want to let you guys know that, hey, the NBA season is back and you can find a daily podcast devoted to all 30 NBA teams, such as podcasts like the Locked on Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Rowland. Find it on your favorite podcast platform, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Joshua Jonas 96 asks, how does Julio Jones' percentage of snaps play compared to other elite receivers? I know Joshua asked this question like three weeks ago. I didn't. I never got the chance to answer it. So I looked at the average uh, percentage of snaps since 2016, uh, which required me to do the least amount of homework and would get us pretty close to the actual number. And so when you look at DeAndre Hopkins, he plays about 98% of the snaps. Antonio Brown, if you throw out this season has played about 94% of the snaps. Again, this is all since this is the last three and a half seasons. Or, again, not including, like, the last three weeks because I did this research, like, three weeks ago. Larry Fitzgerald and Odell Beckham play about 91%. Mike Evans and Mike Thomas play 86%. A.J. Green plays 83%. Julio Jones plays 76%. So the average of the of the other seven guys 
besides Julio Jones is about 90%. So since 2016, Julio has played 2,602 snaps in 52 games. If he had played 90%, that would roughly be about 3,066 snaps. So that's about a difference of about 464 snaps that Julio is playing less than the average elite receiver. And I think a, a large percentage of those snaps are probably run plays. When you look at the significantly higher percentage of snaps that players like Aldrick Robinson, Marvin Hall, Russell Gage, and Justin Hardy have played over the years, they've been asked to run block more so than guys like Sanu and Julio are. And if you assume roughly a third of those 460 extra snaps are run plays, that would mean about 300 snaps where Julio could have run a route over the last four seasons, which over the course of about 52 games amounts to be about six less snaps per game than the average other elite receiver. So I thought over the years that I think people have kind of overrated the snap count arguments for and used against Julio Jones in their frequent online debates about him versus other elite receivers. But I, I certainly think there have been sort of specific moments throughout that time over the last four seasons or three and a half seasons that Julio Jones certainly should have been on the field. Um, and you know, instances like that include times where the Falcons are in the red zone or, or third and fourth down, or like whenever the Falcons used the 12 gauge, um, you know, and I think if that number were to amount to being about six snaps a game, then so be it. So that I hope answers your question, Joshua. Um, you know, my personal sort of additional take, just my own personal thoughts on it that doesn't require research. I think the Falcons limit Julio. They have consistently limited Julio Jones' snaps since 2016. And I think that is a direct response to the fact that Julio Jones was very hurt throughout the 2015 season, that he basically played healthy for like three or four games that year at the beginning of the year, then got hurt, and then was at varying degrees of health throughout the rest of the season. Um, and I think the Falcons purposefully have been sort of managing Julio Jones's snap count. So if he can give him what amounts to be six snaps off a game or more, then I think that's why the Falcons continue to do that. So for me, at least, I think that's the reason why Julio Jones doesn't play as much is because they're constantly managing his durability and his health status. And as I've said many times on this podcast in the past, Julio is a Ferrari and um, the, the maintenance on the car is, is pretty high. So you, you got you to gotta take it to the shop a bunch. Obviously, I don't own a Ferrari, so I don't know if that's actually true. But at least in my head, that's what I believe. You gotta, the maintenance fees on, on the Ferrari are pretty high, uh, more so than a Honda Civic. Uh, but what do I know? I'm not a car guy. Uh, I just talk Falcons on a podcast. Um, so there is sort of your Q&A portion of today's episode and i hope you guys enjoyed this week i hope you guys have a fun weekend um and enjoy you know your sunday off whatever you decide to do this sunday watch you know a good football team uh you know do that if, if that's what you want to do you know have a stroll go to a park you know hang out with your uh significant other which you haven't been doing and, and neglecting that person for the last eight Sundays, 
do whatever you got to do to make yourself happy. Enjoy this weekend. I know I will do my best to enjoy it as well. So, uh, yeah. Until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.